Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of Drunk Agile. We'll get to why it's so special in a second. But, you know, if you're watching, you can probably <laughs> see why the, why it's so special. But let's um, let's do some introductions first. Uh, with me, as always, unfortunately, we have Pratik Singh. But even better yet, we have a birthday girl, right? It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's her, her birthday today? Yeah. Hi, Nisha's birthday. Yeah. Like, uh. Nisha, yeah, she's like whatever it's so tough being beautiful so tough being beautiful i know (laughs) um but the reason this is so special is we have we have a a guest that we've been trying to get on the show for i think like literally months um and he's been dodging us rightfully so no No, i mean you you guys are too busy and you know yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) so um so chris mcdermott i I, let me uh well welcome chris thank you um thank you for having me a couple couple things about about chris Back in, so Chris was involved with the, the Kanban community um, very, very, very early on. I mean, he's, and I think you're essentially the one who kind of brought Kanban to, to Scotland. Um, way back when, Chris started, I would argue, the best, um, the world's best Kanban conference. We won't necessarily talk about what's happened since then, but at the time, it was it was widely widely regarded as as probably the, the destination conference. If you, if you wanted to learn about about Lean and Kanban stuff. You went to Lean Agile Scotland, which hopefully everybody knows was was started by uh, by Chris here. So, um, so Chris, welcome. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a, a avid watcher of of Drunk Agile. I'm a, an avid uh, drinker. I'm avidly drunk and avidly yeah. agile. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, anything that has to do with drinking. Um, so, Chris, since you're our guest, uh, what what are you drinking? What what what, what do you have? So I have, uh, I have Tamdu, <laughs> so I'm drinking. Now, I promised Dan if I was to come on, I would also bring with me <laughs> another drink, which is famous in Scotland, because I'm not a great whiskey drinker. I do enjoy whiskey, but I don't tend to have uh, a lot in the house. Actually, um, I was up speaking to my my dad, who lives close by, my mom and dad, and I said, I'm going on this this podcast and I uh, they drink whiskey and I don't drink much whiskey. I don't have much in the house. He says, go and take a bottle from the cupboard. So I went, okay. So I stole from my dad. <laughs> but on the way home, I promised, I'd promised Dan I would bring uh, another one of Scotland's really famous drinks um, or uh, certainly it's drunk in Scotland, or famously drunk in Scotland. And it's not Iron Brew. It's, um, it's Buckfast tonic wine, highly caffeinated tonic wine, drank by the... Um, the youngsters, I think, that's their their yeah. favorite drink of an evening. So that's a, yeah. that's a whole that's a whole Scotland thing. I thought that was just kind of a West Coast Glasgow thing. Is that? But it's all of Scotland, or mm, it's probably West Coast. Glasgow <laughs> 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 thing. I think I was. I, I think it's uh, also uh, popular in Northern Ireland. But, yeah. uh, not oh. not probably not so popular where it's made uh, in Devon. Uh, that's more of a cider <laughs> cider part of the world. Okay, so yeah. you have you have to have a glass of Buckfast on. Uh, you know, on air then at some point. No. Is, that bo- is that bottle even open? It's no. probably not. It's no. <laughs> no, like, no, that's it's not it's going anywhere near it's me. empty. <laughs> um, Pratik, what about you? What do you, what do you uh, got for us? I went back to the weather, you know, back to the well, weather foolproof. It's getting really low. So, you know, I'm looking for some friends to send me some. But yeah. Yeah. And sir, friends who have been in Scotland recently who should have. Well, some. <laughs> Yeah. We were just talking before we went online. There may be a bot. There may or may not be a bottle here for Pratique. I'm not sure it's actually going to make it to Pratique's place. But, uh, Does it, it might... matter if there's whiskey in it? 
Is that is that <laughs> all I said was a bottle? All it's I said was a bottle. A bottle. Here it is. Yeah. Um, I'm back to the the Blair Athol 12. Um, so it's um, it, it doesn't look like it, but this is really one of my favorites. So I only I only save it for special occasions, which is um, <laughs> I'm breaking it out for uh, for this for this special occasion. Uh, so so Chris, again, thank you so much for for joining us. May if 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 I can hand it off to you, can you? Introduce our topic and tell us what what we're talking about tonight. So, uh, there's a, a technique that uh, myself and uh, a good friend Mark Bagower, who also uh, played a huge part in Lean Agile Scotland from from the, the outset, helped helped a lot uh, in in sort of organising and sort of uh, getting speakers. And um, it's a technique called change mapping. Uh, we had previously called it uh, maturity mapping for a little while. Um, but we kind of went off that name. Um, it, it had some connotations that we, we didn't really enjoy and it kind of closed the context down a little bit for us. So we've we've kind of moved on to call it um, change mapping. And it's, it's a technique we use um, in our work uh, in, in a day-to-day -day basis almost um, to help us understand contexts, to help us understand how teams and organizations work in order to um, help help make the right decisions for improvement. So it helps us analyze practices. What are the things they do, teams do, an organization does on a day-to-day -day basis to get the work done? And if it wants to improve flow or if it wants to improve quality, we can look at the practices and say, what of these practices do we need to start um, to change? It's it's an idea we've been sort of playing with, I think, since about 2018. Um, I, had, I was coaching... Uh, a couple of teams in a, a public sector organization here in Scotland. And um, I kind of got the opportunity to sort of take on a leadership role across the, the coaching community. And there was, you know, there's maybe I don't know, 15, 16, 17 teams. And I started to think, how am I going to get the context with these teams? It's easy when you're in a team to look around you and understand the context. It's even easier when you've got a Kanban board and you can see the visualize the work and you can see the flow and you say, okay, I can understand what's going on here. But when you're not in teams and you're having to make decisions about how to help teams and how to sort of uh, sort of focus efforts and and sometimes deploy sort of coaches and deploy support to teams, you need need context. So um, I had at Lean Agile Scotland we had invited along um, Simon Wardley, and he had uh, has over the last ten or twelve years developed a technique. Uh, which he called Wordly Maps. Uh, he he kind of you know he spent ages thinking of that name clearly, um, <laughs> and uh, he. But the thing about Wordly Maps is they are they are designed for strategy, and they look at predominantly um, sort of technology and material things within organisations, the tools they use, and it, it doesn't. It's not just that, but it predominantly looks like that. Um, so we kind of decided we would put a practice lens on it. Well, what do people do as opposed to what necessarily what they use? So we started using that to, to create a visualization. Here are all the practices that teams use and how well developed are these practices? Um, this, took us, uh, this took us down this sort of, which is a nice rabbit hole of social practice theory and understanding how theorists consider practice. What is a practice? What constitutes a practice? And then this kind of helped us to, to understand a little bit better about the kinds of things we can focus on uh, when it comes to to change. Um, it kind of plays, uh, for me, it plays nicely uh, into um, obviously context, but it one of the kind of, it, it rubs against one of the things I think I hear agilists talk about all the time, 
all the time is we we have to change their mindset. We must have a better mindset. And mindset being this thing that Agile is about. Um, when people don't really change things by changing their mindset, they don't change what they do. They have to change the practices and the, the things they do on a day-to-day basis. So in a nutshell, that's what it is. It's about creating visualizations that help us see how work is done and then using that to inform us how to change and how to improve. That, that's what I read that last point is kind of really what, something I want, wanted to pull on because I think I've seen all of two presentations on worldly mapping. So of course I'm an expert, right? <laughs> I know, I know everything there is to know about worldly mapping. Um, and, and I have to, <laughs> this is going to surprise our viewership, but you know, what little investigation I've done of worldly mapping, I've always been, you know, skeptical. I'm like, why, what, uh, why? So explain to me, explain to me what, what, why worldly mapping in what you talk about? Why why that technique as opposed to say something else? What is there is there something about that um, that 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 is key or is it it was? I don't so know. You the, tell me. The technique was it was kind of the spark. So it was um, it was being able to see all of the things together. Um, so the spark. Well, funnily enough, uh, the the whiskey I'm drinking tonight that I've gone and bothered from my father's house is. Uh, <laughs> Is the one my brother bought him and takes to the house. And every time my brother's there, he will have a glass of this whiskey. So he's clearly going to be very happy with the fact that it will go down. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he doesn't, won't even return. But anyway, yeah. it was this brother who, uh, Andy, who was at the Nigel Scotland, and Simon Morley uh, gave his presentation. And he said, That's really, he's a really good speaker. That's That was really interesting. So I will never use that. I will never use that technique <laughs> because I am not in the boardroom and I will never be part of a conversation with strategy. So I think this kind of just sat in the back of my mind. And when I start to like, how can I see, how can I visualize, how can I understand what teams do? That's when it it, it sort of came to, to sort of the fore for me. It, what we do is not necessarily wordly mapping. So wordly mapping suggests that a, a component, a thing, well, like a, I don't know, a tool, um, I don't know, let's say uh, content management systems, for example. I don't know why that, choose that one, but let's go with that one. They have, they've had a, a, a life cycle, an evolutionary life cycle, a point in time where they are a pure concept. People don't really do content on, on online, but then they start to become something that people are interested in. That's He calls that genesis. And then from genesis, they move into a, a phase called a custom build. So that people go, oh, this is an interesting thing, but they all do it differently themselves. Mm-hmm. They all take a different approach to it. So you see a whole number of variants. Think of it like JavaScript frameworks. Like every time you look at the web, there's another <laughs> like JavaScript frameworks are bound to always stay in custom build. So somebody's always going to come up with another one. But then what happens is when the people can recognize they can make money from these things, they then get drawn further right on a worldly map into a space called product product utility. And that is where people are saying, okay, we can start to take these features and build you one, build a company one, and we'll sell it to you. So instead of your developers building a new one every single time or using one um, that you you have built in-house, a company will build one and sell you one as a service. And then the final stage is when it becomes a commodity. And that is when it's so highly used. It's broad, it's used everywhere that there's you'll find two or three different vendors for them. And basically they are just fighting over the smallest feature differences. Everyone knows exactly what content management's about, exactly why they need it. So um, the, the the sort of it highly commoditized. You can get them get them anywhere, um, and the margins for 
for uh, selling um, content management is like tiny now. You know, it's 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 so um, so routine. So if we think about that in the lens of practices, if you take a kind of similar vein, a similar path, you can think about how practice emerges in organizations as a concept. So if we change the label slightly, it's, some, it's conceptual. It's like, okay, I've heard of this. This might be interesting. We'll try it out. Then what will happen is it goes into the next phase. The second of the four phases is emerging, where it's it's something where people will okay, well, now we can get value from this. We've done some experimenting and now it maybe starts to fragment or what you find is maybe there's no steady routine in how it's done. There's no established routine. And then it transitions into what was product from the material sense into good in the practice sense where you're starting to say, okay, there is routine, but there's definitely need, there's definitely opportunity for improvement. And then you have this space of best practice. Best practice, I think it's, it's important to say that best practice isn't something we're saying is globally best practice. It's contextually best practice. It's what's best practice for that team right now and how well routine things are. So the, the visualization helps us do that. It also helps us consider how practices link together. What are the relationship between practices? How does information flow between the different things? So we think of a team, the information or um, maybe flows through the concept of a story. How does the story flow through the practices of the developer will work on and the tester will work on and, and the analyst and so on? Um, so it allows to create a network that shows all of the flows of information or the, the relationships between practices. So this is also really interesting because if you start to see practices with multiple relationships, you can go, this is like a really cornerstone practice that a team has. And if it's not really good, if it's to the left-hand side of our maps, you can say, maybe this is what we should focus on to improve the situation. Um, and finally, or maybe finally, uh, the... We've only got 20 minutes, Chris. Yeah. Like, I love the concept of value streams and value stream mapping and understanding through things through value streams, but we know work doesn't go in the stream and doesn't go in one direction. There's loops and there's connections and flows backwards and forwards. So this kind of what we could describe as value networks is practices in a network that deliver value for, for a customer or for, um, for an organization. I've got several more questions, particularly. You going? To, you want to jump in with something? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 thank you for for explaining the 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 the, the stages of that because because I was trying to figure out how does this map, how does the map map, uh, the, the 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 immediate question I had was, I when we're moving from left to right in this map, let's say whatever practice limiting whip, whatever that mm -hmm. practice is, is it more about adoption? of the practice or is it more about uh, deepening of the practice? This thing is this thing, we're, we're doing this better than we used to. That's a great question. So what, what we ask when we are wanting to position a practice on a map is what does good look like to you? So because we're, we're concerned about the context and what matters in that context and, what, and also, also what people know, we ask that question, what does good look to, like to you? Um, and good to us is, is routine. It's just that, like, do we do it on a regular basis? So that gives us the, the kind of X, the, the, the sort of horizontal axis. What we also start to think about is how many people know this? Mm. So if we have on our Y axis, it's visibility. So at the top, we position the need, like, what is this? Who is, why is this team here? What is it here to do? There's the need at the top. And then the, the further up the, the Y axis the practice goes, the more people are aware of it the more potentially the more people are doing it 
more um sort of volume as you said there is to the practice um so yeah so movement and improvement for us might be moved to the right to get it more routine and better well established and also could be move upward to make it more visible more more people aware so if you imagine right at the bottom and the, the y-axis it's maybe there's somebody in our team who's brilliant at that no idea how they do it right so but we want to know so our, our movement our improvement we want to make is go up the way we want okay. more people involved okay but that that that's a double-edged sword isn't it because if we talk about like say story points right story points high visibility everybody's doing it right i mean would, wouldn't story points be like to, for like a typical scrum team um not not the story points is in scrum before i start getting hate mail um <laughs> again again <laughs> every week it's something new <laughs> Wouldn't story points be something that's really far to the right and really far high? And that I wouldn't, I would argue that's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Right. So how, how do we how do we put a filter on that? So there's, there's two two aspects to this, so two things to think about here. One is, is so what why why do we do story points? What is the purpose? So we think about I hope that's rhetorical. Because, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's a reason why people do it. It's 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 not no not necessarily the 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 practice is, well, I won't go down your rabbit hole. And I don't want to get hate mail. I don't, I don't want to get hate mail. Like, it's like, I see this so, as a trap. I see this as a trap. As, as <laughs> I have my, up here somewhere, I have my story point cards deck. And they are brilliant when you've got a wonky table. So if you can just put them, put them under the keep everything level. So I don't want to hate mail either, right? Story points are valuable. So, no, so the thing about practices, and you think about practices, and this, this kind of, the practices that we map, there's, we use a frame called social practice theory to sort of describe a practice. And that means that's that's three things. It's three elements and three elements that integrate to make the practice. Um, so those three elements are meaning, which is like a purpose. Why why bother? Why are we doing this? Uh, competence, your skill and able to do it, and the materials, the tools you use to do it. Right. So there's two, one lens you could look at this and say, why are you doing story points? Like, well, what would you aim to get from doing story points? And we could be like, well, we're trying to uh, get better, be, estimate our work and understand how long it's going to take us, how, or maybe how complex it is, whatever, whatever that's for. But the, the, the meanings can be analyzed and external. Like, so you can look at a map as a coach and say, they're really good at story points. Like, they all say five all the time. That's so routine. Um, but they're not the the they're not really getting the value or the meaning. They're not sort of delivering on the meaning of that practice, which is to understand how long things will take. When will it be done? So as an external looking at a team, you can say, here, this practice that you're really good at is not fit for the outcome you're trying to achieve. Let's see how we can we can change that practice and compete, bring in a new practice onto a practice landscape and say, how can we compete with this one? So it does so. People can't magically understand all the options, all the practices available in the world that help them do things. They can only really understand their own context. So external perspectives, the map helps bring up these external perspectives, um, create an opportunity from someone else to look and say, right, how do you do these things? Let's have a conversation. That's what really all these things are about, right? It's like we move a card on a board to break a whip limit. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to have a conversation. You're going to help make a decision. So that's kind of... Um, I guess that's the way we can see that. There's an interesting other lens to, on this, which I'm as as you were describing it, I'm getting is just if your map is too dense, 
you might want to remove, start removing stuff. There's a whip limit to practices. Yeah. There's a whip limit to practices. Yeah. Start removing stuff may possibly instead of just trying to figure out how to move the stuff forward or upwards, yeah. whatever that is. Yeah. If you're too dense, it probably requires you to remove some of the stuff. So there's two again. Uh, yes, you could be looking at these things and say, whoa, you've got like six practices that all do the same thing for you. Could we could we try and create some standard or routine practice around that, which is great. But you can also maybe look at it, it's like it's a map, right? So you can zoom out and you can say like, how can we cluster these practices into something else we could consider as a practice but a higher le level? So the, the, the example I always think of here is driving as a practice. It has meanings, like I'm going from A to B, use competence, right? You need to know how to maneuver the car and materials. You need a car, you need a road, you need those things. But braking is also a practice and checking the mirror is also a practice. And in that, my country, changing the gear is also a practice that people do. But you guys, I know you guys don't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. It's Actually, you don't do that either Unless... anymore. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I still know how though. I still know how. <laughs> So uh, to, to the, I can't see the wood from the trees type, look at all these practices. There is there's something really interesting in there to say, we're doing the same thing in multiple different ways. We're calling it different things. Uh, so you can, like, how do we try and create one practice that, that helps us develop more routine than a team? Or it's like, well, those are all different practices in the same space. You might look, oh, they're all development practices. We don't really care about talking about the development practices right now. Let's just bundle them up into one and then we could maybe zoom in at a later point and see all of those. Yeah, my, my, my mind just, I don't know, it's stuck on it. I would just keep going to, how do I remove practices? Because yeah. <laughs> I always feel like you make processes better by removing stuff. Yeah. So that, that, uh, that's, where, that's where I keep going with this because I think, I think that's an, uh, it, it can give you an overview of, yeah, you've got 50 things going on and that's what's getting in your way of actually running a smooth system. Oh, yeah, exactly. So you yeah. can look at it and say, like, well, let's analyze the flow, right? We'll look at the team and the flow and then go, okay, things are really slow here. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Let's go and look at what we do. Yeah. We do all that. You know, you the you could have practices that the team do that are like, oh, let's let's take that off this team and put it, bundle it up and put it in a platform mm -hmm. that the team can consume so that they don't have the cognitive load of all of this stuff. I'm trying to do well that, yeah. i mean that was the last time we talked chris i mean that was kind of the light, light bulb for me was um because this was a debate that pratik and i and julia wester were having on on slack the other day is you know um a bunch of practices when we, we, we put a kanban lens on this right a bunch of practices does not make a workflow right um you know and so it's like how do you map these practices to the life cycle of taking something that's an idea and turning it into, you know, something that's tangible, you know, for your customers. Um, and I think a lot of people think that's, that's trivial. And we just, well, let's just put up, let's just put up our, our practices that we do. Like you said, uh, we, we develop it, then we test it and then we, you know, validate it, whatever. Um, but that's really not what, what workflow is. And so what I, what, what, what I was really, and you saw when I was pulling our conversation along those lines is like, what was really interesting to me is how can we, how can we look at what a team's doing and map that more to what the, the life cycle of a work item is so the team can really understand what practices are really helping them to deliver value to their customers versus which, what practices, mm. what practices aren't. Um, uh, I don't know if you want to say anything, you know, a little bit about that, but. 
critique was wrong, by the way, just in case oh, anybody's wondering. Know, yeah. in, in that debate, I, I won that debate. I, 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 think, I, think, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think Julia will decide that, and I'm talking to her tomorrow morning, so I'll find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, I used to design camera boards in, in the same way, but like, tell them who, what do you do? You're a developer. What do you do? You're an analyst. Okay. Who, who starts? Who's next? Okay. There's, there's the, the, the camera board. Um, I think from for me, like if you put a practice lens on it, it's 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 you know the question you're asking is how does the work flow, mm-hmm. so you can dive in, and so an analyst might have, or the 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 practice of an analysis may have many many different practices that sit in there, so start to understand them. You might um, start to see where there's an overlap between the, the thing a developer does and the thing an analyst does. So maybe that might help us say, okay, there's a boundary here that that sits between these two roles with these. These the, these two, these collections of practices or networks of practices, how, maybe that's a really interesting thing for us to visualize. Like this work is at that boundary, you know. Maybe that's something where we should focus. What the, the boundary points between the people and the teams and the different roles, but over looking at looking through the practice lens. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I think the the thing is it's um, depends how deep you want to go with this. It can be something you can get you can really just keep digging and really understand to the, the nth degree. I think it's just about finding that right level for you back to the how many do you want to see to make those kinds of decisions yeah but because i mean i i think one of the early points you made was that you know uh the the life cycle of a work item is not strictly speaking is not linear right it's a network mm-hmm. right it goes forward yeah. it goes backward it gets split up it, it comes together mm-hmm. right you know you know all, you know all these things happen um but what Pratik and i talk a lot about is while we recognize there is that quote-unquote complexity under the covers there is a way of abstracting your understanding of, of that stuff such that it does look linear, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just because, you know, you have to do, you have to do, uh, just because on our board it says do A and then do B doesn't mean you can't start B before you've, you've you know, mm-hmm. you've, you've done A, you know, th- th- things like that. Um, and so that's, that's why I think it's, it's kind of interesting to, you know, to use this technique for, for teams to understand how, how does work work? You know, yep. because that's really what's going to help us to to optimize flow. And of course, you know, I'm biased. I think that's that's what it's all about. Is you know, how do we get to actually optimizing flow? Um, but I think you're taking it to the next level because you're potentially talking about you know organizational design and uh, development potentially around how do we how do we change our organizational structure essentially to to meet flow, which I think is really kind of kind of where we want to want to take this thing. But yeah, I think there's a there's a couple of ways to to so look at flow outside the team how does how does the work flow from throughout an organization yeah the the ways you're going to start to think about that is you can think about it as like well let's take these bundles we'll call them teams all these bundles of practices we'll call them a team and we'll hide all the practices there but then this team the work from this team goes to this team and like what what's the thing in the middle here what is it that helps it transition so these boundary practices are things you really want to look at this is if you've got like, I don't know, sort of set collections or teams of teams where there is a network that, that workflows. But if you're in that kind of, I don't know, it's, it's been a while since I worked with software teams now. But if you're in that position where you're saying, oh, it's like traditional functions and BAs, business analysts are there, developers are there, you know, that kind of thing about looking at those practices, you can start to say, well, what practices do we actually need to bring together into teams to help workflow? What are the things they need to be able to do together? Um, and then you can also look at who are our practitioners who can do these practices, 
and then sort of form and do that organizational change, organizational design that way. There was there was one other thing I wanted to pull on, Pratik. I don't know, but I want to give you an opportunity to get in here, though. Um, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I'm trying to think about what I'm seeing a lot of this. This makes me, this helps me visualize what my landscape looks like, what my practice landscape looks like. Um, the the this is probably my fault. Every time I visualize something, I want to optimize it. <laughs> I don't. I I I, I don't think there is within the map a thing to say optimize this that comes from the outside yep. they want to optimize for this here is the landscape yep. now use that lens to figure out yep. what you need to change here is that correct yeah yep. yep. there's nothing on you know you there's a the, the map will bias you to decisions if you just look and go what should i do differently mm -hmm. well the things on the left you want to move to the right that's yep. maybe not the right thing you do want you know you want to have a lens to look at it. What do we need to do in order to make the workflow? And it might be your practice on the left hand side can stay on the left hand side because you don't care mm -hmm. about it. But it's the practices in the middle, and maybe the relationship between the practices is not right. Those are the things that will sort of improve the whole context, improve the, the whole team, or improve the flow for the whole team. Which we know will improve everything else because flow does that and makes everything better. It's magic. Yeah. Um. I guess I guess I did, I did have two things. So. You, Chris had mentioned before before we started recording. Chris had mentioned he he was doing a whole bunch of homework because he'd never really seen the Drunk Agile um, podcast I before. I, I, I don't think I think he ever, I don't think he ever got got past the drunk part. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> that's that. So, oh yeah, okay. Wait, after watch, this is so, a great two you, minute podcast <laughs> thing you guys do. What are you drinking? Brilliant. I'll go do that. <laughs> um, but you had mentioned there are a couple of things that we covered recently that that potentially might be relevant here. Have we have we talked about those things, or was was there something? Yeah, else yeah. That so I mentioned. I just want to pick up on team size. Ah, okay, good. Mm -hmm. Now, now Pratik perks up. <laughs> so, like the the I, I don't want to get your hate mail. Don't don't redirect your hate mail to me, right? But you know this pizza size thing uh, and like this to me that's context free, right? That that bothers me about it. It might be right, but it also might be wrong, right? But it is context free. That, that I guess that's that's the the thing that really bothers me about the team size thing. The they also talked with uh, Colleen about retro frequency. Do them every two weeks. Why? Why not every two days? Every two months? Yeah. You know, it, it's about yeah. for me. Or just in time, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, I think you talked was it Frank that had the was it Frank Vega. Who you're talking about that had the the Kanban yeah. board, the board that yeah. went three tickets and we'll go have a retro. Yeah, yeah. that was Frank. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was one of my favourites. I used to do that as well because it was great. Yeah. And you found that after like a week, you'd had three retros, and then after a month, you'd had none. Yeah, because there's nothing to talk yeah. about. So the 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 context there, I think, is really important because, as I said, sometimes seven people on a team's just perfect, and another time, it just suboptimal. It ruins the whole flow in an organisation. So uh, looking at the, I guess, the wider practice context there, you can see well, what is it the organisation is trying to do, or the the people within this function are trying to deliver? How do we bring together the right practices to get that done? And they said. You know, you talked about the the first Kanban team was sixty people or something like that. Ish, ish yeah, yeah. You're optimizing for you know sort of get small teams. You're optimizing for bottlenecks elsewhere, right? Right. You're optimizing for dependencies. <laughs> yeah. You're optimizing yeah. for managing dependencies, essentially. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, it's it's uh, when you were describing Waterloo maps earlier, it, it kind of that's what's happened with that advice is it's become commodity. It's, it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah, this yeah. is just the advice. This is this is what we do. Yeah. As opposed to what you're talking about, where let's take this practice and look at it in the context of what we're trying to do. Um, and I think that 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 distinction between what you were talking about with Waterloo map and what you're talking about with change mapping speaks to me a lot more of in the context of our world, what does this practice look like? Team yeah. size is a practice, absolutely. And what does it look like? Yeah. I, like um, I, I'm happily receive hate mail and safe, right? Things like that. <laughs> it's it is a, a complete context free approach to, you know, it and it's not complexity informed either. It doesn't understand complexity. It's like just put another another set of practices in. We don't care what they're actually doing because everybody needs, I don't know. Lean UX and DevOps and just make them and, do and, all and, that. and mischief, right? That's yeah, not yeah. really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go, go change map safe. That might yeah. take a few years. Yeah. Um, the the final, I, I think, I think the final thing we'll probably we'll probably wrap up here, but I, I, we reserve the right to call you back for mm -hmm. other questions, Chris. Um, but. There was something something fascinating you said in the lead-in, right right at the end, and you kind of said it under your breath. And oh. I, I'd love for you to to, to say more because I think I think there's some gold here. You said people don't change by changing their mindset; they change by changing their practices. Say some yeah. more about that because I think I think that's brilliant. So uh, I know I know this is being recorded, but 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 yeah, I, um, yeah. Can you say some more but about that? So I often, uh, the presentation I've been doing for the last uh, six months or so, I bring up the Agile Manifesto and I said the, the most important line in the Agile Manifesto is uh, we're, we're um, improving things by doing it and helping doing, others do it. Yeah. 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 yeah, And then I highlight two words, and the two words of doing and do. I, I, you know, and then say that line, like uh, nobody ever changed by changing mind. The only way you know things have changed by, is by a sustained change in practice changing what people do um so the, the thing that bothers me about it is it there's, there's a couple of things one is the um what the way it's often framed is people like me or people with the same job title i have if they go in and say they need to change their mindset they they all of them need to change their mindset <laughs> then when we've done that then everything's going to be great um, and there's the whole it's othering, and it's like mm, like are you you need to understand the context first <laughs> yeah. uh, in order to help um, but also, if you you know, I think how people think about work is important. I'm not diminishing that, but I think also with the practice lens, you also have to think about well, what skills do the people who are doing the practices have in the work. So you can change their mind if they want, but they might not have the right level of skill. They're not being taught the right things. They might not understand the right things, and also ultimately they might be constrained by the tools they're working with, uh, whether that's the software people are building or the tools in which they use to build the software. So I think there's, there's um, by just changing your mindset, you aren't going to sort of change that context. The other thing I think as well is with the, the, the agile mindset thing is like, how, I don't know how many developers that I've worked with or testers or people in different contexts who really just don't care about mm -hmm. agile. They just want to go on and do the work. And if you can help them do their work better, then that's that's all that matters. And if it means like, you know, let's think a little bit about, you know, un uncertainty in the work. It's a complex thing. Let me help you with practices that will help you deal with that. 
then then that's but not you know you need to switch your mindset i hate that word it's like your mind is set and it's wrong so we need to reset it the right way yeah, yeah. all right that i think it's more of a um <laughs> uh, 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 a frustration that bubbles under than one I can clearly articulate and clearly take the signs for, but yeah, it's, it's on. I, no, I think because I think I was I was thinking about I mean I wasn't thinking about it exactly like that, but I was thinking about something similar recently. Is um, it's it's even better when um, necessity demands a, a change in practices. So, for example, um, pre-pandemic, every every agile coach mm-hmm. said. Agile's all about small co-located teams. Can't have, can't do, can't do agile remote. Can't do, have, yeah. <laughs> and sticky yeah. notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> pandemic hits and, and guess how quickly people figured out to work remotely. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and so that's, to me, that, that's kind of the essence of, of what you're talking about here. And, and it, it's, you know, I've been thinking about how, how do we, how do we create that, that sense of, you know, necessity, you know, around like, like, like limiting whip, you know, around like things like paying attention to age, you know, th- things that, that Pratik and I, I talk about is because, you know, there's, there's such a big disconnect between when a decision is made and when there's actually a consequence of that decision that people mm-hmm. don't really see how these practices, you know, can help them. So there has to be some, I don't know, if, like I said, if the, if, if the context could change, so there's a necessity for that, mm-hmm. that you could really see the impact of the decision that you're making. Um, I don't have an answer for that. It's just something I've been, you know, no, been thinking about a lot lately. I think that that is a, I, I, that's an answer that depends on where you are in, you know, what, like what organization you're in and the challenges they face. It's like the gap between the decision and the impact of the gap between the decision. Um, yeah. Like it's my favorite, like if I know you want to wrap up, my favorite story yeah. in the whole like where people changed how they thought about work. It, like it would be probably, you know, the Numi story, don't you? New United Motor Manufacturing. You know, don't know the Numi story. Please. Cool. cool. Please go should for it. Should, should we? We kind of feel like we should. I don't know. So, yeah. I don't know. Like I've told it so many times. I've just, I've just I've ever spoken to in my life. I said, I'm sure my mum heard that. Um, the, so Numi is the story of uh, a collaboration between Toyota and GM that the oh uh, now I know that one yeah yeah the Fremont manufacturing one so uh Dan, Dan doesn't know right I'll tell the so the um Fremont GM Fremont was like the worst manufacturing plant in the US or well, it's certainly the worst car manufacturing plant quality was awful uh, so uh, basically GM said we're going to shut this down right so they closed the, the factory down they sacked everyone everyone was loose laid off uh, and at the same time, there was um, legislation going through uh, the US legislative processes that said uh, we need to reduce uh, fuel emissions. Uh, and this is like the late 70s, early 80s. And we're going to uh, increase import uh, levies because like Japanese manufacturing is killing us. So Toyota need to come to America to, to manufacture and GM are like, we, we just can't build a small car. So they get together and they, they decide they're going to work in this factory together. So they, they, they decided that Fremont was free, so they don't have to build a new factory, they'll use Fremont. And for whatever reason, we can, you can maybe look into this, 85% of the workforce that worked in Fremont ended up working at NUMI, this collaboration between Toyota and GM. And the factory went from having the worst quality cars, and within a three-month period of being open as NUMI, had the best quality cars. 
Now, what had changed was not a mindset. There was two key factors that changed there. One was the purpose of work changed. So the manager said the purpose is different. Now, the purpose isn't quantity. The purpose is quality. So that started to thread through the practices. In order to facilitate quality, they introduced a, a new practice called the and-on cord. You pull the and-on cord, we stop to look at quality. And that was, in, in essence, it. There was other practices about, you know, some continuous improvement practices, but that was, in essence, what changed the whole thing. There was no mindset change. The same people worked there. The same people did did the work. What they just were, were given different opportunities and asked different questions. So it's a fascinating story. I like it. I hope I've told it well enough. Pratik, was that was that about right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I think I think it goes even further. But because uh, I think they did a, they did a documentary on this thing. I never watched it, but that that, that that's how I know about yeah. it. I saw I saw like the, the ads for it, and then I went 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 and read up on it a little bit. But yeah, yeah there's a pod, the this American Life podcast yeah. on it, which is which is pretty good. But yeah, I think for me, the way I look at it is the new practice and the and on cord and the meanings of the practices were changed by the leadership. But so was but was that and on cord mandated? I mean, was it like does somebody from on high say we are going to implement this? Because that, that's it. that's kind of what I'm talking about is yeah. somebody somewhere had to say we're doing this, and it was the out of the, out of necessity that this practice yeah. you know got put in place. Um, that that's what I'm saying. I think for me, that's much more powerful than yeah, the whole mindset. Let's let's yeah. Um, yeah. When you've got them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So um, so more hate mail coming our way on you know <laughs> just tell people what to do. Well, I I but, yeah. I put in random movie quotes. So if anybody can tell me what movie that's from, um, you win a. I know you'll win a mention on our next our next uh, drunk agile episode. Uh, Chris, as our guest, you always get the last. The guest always gets the last word. Is there anything you'd like to say to, to wrap us up before we uh, before we run away? Cheers. <laughs> cheers. We never did cheers. cheers. Yeah, cheers. We didn't. Cheers. So, Chris, Chris, thanks so much for for coming on. We we would definitely will have you on again at some point. At the very least, pleasure. The three of us will get together and drink some whiskey or yeah, yeah. fuck fast or anything, whatever. Um, I guess Pratik, then it goes to you. Is there anything you'd like to say to, to wrap no, us? No, it was great having Chris on because I, I, just like Dan, did not really understand worldly maps really well, and I'm I'm glad that you put it in a context that makes a little more sense, at least to me. Uh, and and that's a the, thanks for that. Yeah, I said I was a world expert. Remember, I'd seen two presentations on it. World expert. I, the thing that fascinated me about his presentation is I think he got through 200 slides in like 45 minutes or something. Yeah. It was just insane. Um, okay, for the for the birthday girl, Nisha. Nisha, happy birthday! Hopefully, happy birthday. She, she can't get. <laughs> Hi, sweetie. <laughs> she can't get. <laughs> she can't get everything she wants. You know, I'm sorry, Nisha. You can't choose your owner. You can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> she's she's uh, got she's got a little birthday cake waiting for her later. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. for 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 Nisha, for Chris, for Pratik, uh, my name is Daniel Picanti. Thank you so much for joining us, and we will see you in the next episode. Thanks, everyone. Yeah.